1 through 11. This is uh, the last of the seven I am statements that are found particularly in the Gospel of John. This one, we hear Jesus uh, saying to the disciples and to us as we listen today, I am the true vine. Since March, uh, we have had to be fairly creative uh, in staying connected. Uh, Some of the things we've tried have worked. Uh, Some of the things I've tried have not. Uh, And, of course, we learn from all of those experiences, hopefully. Uh, Staying connected is a big deal uh, for us. Even if the pandemic were not heavy upon us, we are still people who... Uh, like to stay connected with one another, and particularly so since we are part of something greater than our individual selves. We are uh, part of the body of Christ, and uh, as such, we are uh, members of, uh, participate with, very uh, particularly with one another as members of that body. We all have cell phones, as far as I uh, know. Uh, We all uh, email, some of us text. Uh, We have attempted Zoom meetings. Uh, Many of of you have participated in those uh, virtual meeting rooms. We have Facebook, we have Twitter, we have all sorts of social media uh, avenues intended to keep us Connected. We have our telephone. Uh, the old saying is we have the telegraph and we also have that uh, tell, tell a person. We uh, tell one another, don't we, as we pass information along. Uh, years ago, uh, there was a, a pop song uh, by the title, I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Uh, you remember that? Uh, and uh, you can look that up if you're not familiar with it and, and listen to, I believe it was Marvin Gaye who sang that. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's got uh, a seed of truth in there because uh, we are part of one who calls himself the true vine. And as the true vine uh, produces fruit, we pray that each one of our lives would be uh, sweet grapes upon uh, that fruit of the vine. As we turn to this passage here today, you'll notice as I read through these 11 verses that Jesus says 10 times, abide with me, remain with me. Jesus is saying that we must Abide in Him. Remain connected to Him, the one who is the true vine. Turn with me to John chapter 15. These are God's holy and inspired words. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit 
of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. The grass withers, the flowers fade and fall, but these words of our Lord God endure forever. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we come to you through the one who is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And pray, Lord, that as we hear these words that he spoke so many years ago, they would be real and alive and vibrant and living to us even today. Father, we do pray that you would enable us to hear clearly the sound of your voice speaking to us by way of your word today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we hear Jesus speak of this word picture, calling himself the true vine, and a second time in verse 5, the vine, we are reminded that the vine in the scriptures is a common symbol, is a common reference to God's people. This passage follows the previous chapter, chapter 14, where Jesus has just participated in the Last Supper with the disciples who were in the upper room. He has said uh, one would betray him very shortly that night, and another would deny him, not once, not twice, but three times. And this unsettled his disciples, as it would probably unsettle anyone who spoke these words. And Jesus, immediately following, speaks words of comfort, words given to his disciples, to those troubled men. Then in verse 41 of chapter 14, he says, But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, he says to them, let us go from here. Immediately following is chapter 15. The disciples and Jesus himself apparently leave the upper room. One of those disciples has already fled and left in order to go betray Jesus. And as they leave, headed toward the garden of Gethsemane, passing by 
Herod's temple, they see, more than likely, a depiction on that temple. Gigantic golden vine with grape clusters, the height, it's said, of a man, decorated the what's called in architecture the entablature, the horizontal beam that runs across the, the door to make the lintel from one column to another. On that entablature were grapes hanging from a great vine, dropping from that vine, clusters of golden grapes. It is said by historical notes that those clusters, the grapes themselves, were over six feet tall. This was an illustration to all of the Israelites, all of the people who went by, that God had a special place in his heart for those grapes hanging from that vine, that in fact the people of Israel were, according to the Old Testament, that vine. Much like stained glass would be in many of the churches today, that depiction portrayed to the people who saw it something real, God's people were taken out of Egypt, out of captivity. God had planted them in that land flowing with milk and honey as a true vine, a choice vine in a land that was promised to them. Now Jesus comes along and turns uh, their understanding of this vine on its head. And he calls himself the true vine in verse 1, chapter 15, where he says, I am the true vine. Jesus didn't simply just pull that statement out of thin air and throw it at the situation that he was in right now. You see, throughout the scriptures, the vine had been a symbol and a visible depiction of God's people. The psalmist, Psalm 80, speaks very clearly about the vine removed from Egypt. The psalmist says, you drove out the nations and you planted that vine. You cleared the ground before it and it took deep root and filled the land. The prophet Isaiah speaks in chapter 5 about this same vine, using a parable here. Interesting, isn't it? The parables are not just for the New Testament. They were uh, a very uh, clear picture uh, that the Old Testament and many of the prophets used in order to convey truths to God's people. Isaiah says, Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around and removed its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. Then in verse 7 of Isaiah 
For the vineyard of the Lord host is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, what did he find? He found bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but what did he see? Behold, a cry of distress. Jeremiah speaks of a planted choice vine, a completely faithful seed. How then have you turned yourself before me into the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine? Hosea, the minor prophet, refers to Israel as a vine producing fruit for itself. And with a prophet having increased the number of foreign altars and not the one place of worship before the one true God. And he calls God's people an empty vine. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Ezekiel. We spent so much time in the book of Ezekiel here, but Ezekiel himself, chapter 15, speaks of a vine describing Israel's spiritual relationship with God, saying that Jerusalem is now like a useless vine. Jesus, bringing us back to the New Testament, speaks uh, basically the same words, using the same image in Matthew chapter 1, Verses 33 through 40. We won't read that particular parable, but you might uh, remember it as a parable of the landowner who plants a vineyard and then goes off and puts in charge one who is to oversee the production of the fruit in that vineyard. The vine very clearly depicts God's people who were called to be productive, but they have become worthless and unproductive. Not only producing bad fruit, but many times producing no fruit at all. You see, anyone who has had a grapevine may give it a few years to produce fruit. But if it doesn't, what do you do? you probably uproot it and put place another, plant another vine in its place. Because the branches attached to the vine are intended to produce fruit. Remember Jesus says here now, I am the true vine. The people of Israel, God's people, were to be a beacon and a light to all the nations of God's covenantal love and His faithfulness. They failed in producing bad fruit. And Jesus comes along and says, Now, don't look at them. Look at me. I am the true vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. What does he mean by saying, apart from me, you can do nothing? I do things every day and so do you, don't you? What he means is not that we can't do absolutely anything. We can do many things. There are 
people in the world who are not Christians who do very altruistic things. But apart from identification with Jesus Christ, with trusting in Him as the way, the truth, and the life, no one can do anything that will endure, that brings glory to God. We may be officers in the church. You might be an elder, a deacon, a member of this church, having made a profession of faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, engaged in service to the community and even to one another. But you think you can do something outside of Christ? You think you can do more that means more to God by working harder, by doing more things, applying yourself in greater ways. What a lie that is. You can be a pastor, a school teacher, a Sunday school teacher, and want to have an enduring influence on the people God has placed in your care. But if we think we can do anything outside of Christ, simply by working harder, focusing greater, we live a lie. You may even be a seminary student working diligently. But if it's not as unto the Lord through our Savior Jesus Christ, apart from Him, you do nothing. Jesus says to all of us, apart from me, you do nothing. But he also says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Our relationship to Him in the vine is intended to produce fruit. Branches that abide in the vine, that remain on the vine, produce fruit, hopefully, by God's grace. Fruit that will last. If you have your Bibles open, look at verse 16, chapter 15, where Jesus says, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you would go and, he says, bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain. That word remain is that word abide that he used up in the first 11 verses. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. We all want our efforts to last, don't we? Our works and our fruit to produce something that amounts to something. I believe that what Jesus says here in John 15, if we listen to it, if we take it to heart, and we understand it as best as we can, abiding in Him, remaining in Him, that He, by His Spirit, will enable the fruit that we produce to be fruit that lasts to all generations. I want to go through this passage here 
by way of asking and answering three questions. What does it mean to abide? What does it mean to remain in Jesus? Why is abiding in Him so important, so vital? And how do we do that? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? When Jesus says, abide in me, what does he mean? What he means is this, take your life from me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And as a branch receives life from the vine, you are to receive life from me. Not only life now, but eternal life. Remember Jesus previously said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know how this works. A branch has to remain physically, organically on the, the, the stalk, on the vine, physically connected to the vine. Why? Well, if it's separated from that vine, what's going to happen to it? It's going to wither and it's going to die. I challenge you, go out to a a grapevine or a tree, something that is growing, and cut a branch off and go back to it a week later and see what's happened. The branch withers. The leaves fade and fall because it's not connected vitally, physically, organically to the vine. It's the same way with Jesus and with you and with me. If we take our life from Him as a branch does from the main stalk, what we will see in our lives by God's grace is abundant fruit, is a life lived that means something to the work of God's kingdom. It doesn't mean that we will be successful in all things. It certainly isn't true for any one of us that we succeed in all things that we do in the name of the Lord. But it does mean that we will see Christ's desire working in us and through us and for us to come to fruition in our lives. That whatever we do will have been done for the glory of God. That's what it means. To abide in Jesus. To remain in Him. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you. Unless you abide, you remain in me. Why is this important? Why do we even have to listen to this? Why do we have to be confronted with this? Why is it important that we abide in Jesus? Is it important for us? Jesus said, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine grower, the vine dresser, in verse 1. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. And then he goes on to say in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire 
and they are burned. See, there's a, a principle at work here in the why abide. And that principle is this. Where there is no attachment to a root, a vine, and the branches, there is no fruit. Isaiah chapter 11 says, Then in that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. Here's why Jesus comes along and says, I am the true vine. Who is He? He is a descendant of Jesse. Jesse, who was Jesse? He was the king, David's father. And we know from the genealogical records, if you go back to Matthew chapter 1 and read through all those uh, descendants and Luke chapter 3, that Jesus was descended from the line of Jesse and his son David. And in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 10, that Hebrew word that's used for root implies it is a root that remains alive and sends up a shoot to branch out. Thus the root of Jesse was a root from which more descendants out of that true vine, out of that root, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would descend. It is Jesus who, like a root in the soil, draws from the life-giving stores of growth and grace, the branches attached to it, the fruit produced from it, the nutrients and the moisture, and as it were, attached to Him, we bear fruit. Because where there is no root... There is no potential for real fruit. What is this fruit that those who are attached to the vine produce? It's simply this. The fruit of being in Jesus is, it's not complicated, is being like Jesus. What does it mean to be like Him? It means that we love one another, even as our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ loves us. John 15, verse 12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Being attached to that uh, vine, bearing fruit, means that we produce the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But here's the thing. What flows into us as we remain and abide in Him ought to flow out of us as we stay connected to Him. What we have received by God's grace, we ought to graciously give to one another by that same grace. What comes to us because we are abiding, remaining, vitally attached to Him, 
ought to show through as we remain in Him. As we have been loved, so we ought to love. Remember, where there is no attachment to that vine and that root, there is no potential for real, lasting fruit. But there's another reason that we are attached. When we receive our life from the one who is the life giver by the power of his spirit, there is fruit. Uh, Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. And when there is fruit, God, the one who has planted the vine, who is the vine dresser, is thereby glorified. Man's chief end is to do what? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. My Father, Jesus said, is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so, by bearing much fruit, prove that you are my disciples. You and I are created as image bearers of God. Imagine that. Created in His image. We are designed to reflect the glory of God. Of course, in our sin, we are not able to do that perfectly and even completely. That reflection of God in us is distorted in a way But in His great mercy, God has redeemed us. He has bought us with a price. And even now, what is He doing with us? He's sanctifying us. He's making us holy. If you have made a profession of faith in Christ, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Abiding in Jesus, you believe it's important. I do. I think every believer deep in their heart and their soul believe, believes that is important and is so vital for our relationship in the church producing fruit that last abiding in Jesus is important because if we're not abiding in him then what can we say our life is not bearing fruit that lasts there's only one way that can happen that our lives can produce that fruit that God desires as we work in His kingdom. We abide in Jesus and we take our life from Him. That's the what. That's the why. Now, how do I do that? I mean, often the doctrine is easy to get stuck in our heads to understand here. But how does that doctrine work from here 
into my heart, out into my hands and my feet, and through my mouth. How do we practically abide in Jesus so that we, every one of us, can bear fruit for the glory of God? We don't have to guess at the answer. You know why? Because it's right there in your hands. Jesus tells us. Now what He says, I admit, may surprise you. may find it way too simple. (laughs) And for that reason, we may think there has to be something more to it. When I was studying architecture at uh, Tulane University in New Orleans, as I recollect, it was my second year, which was 1971-72, I took a class in computer programming. Now, it's not basic and it's not any Fortran or it's not anything that we have here today, visual basic or whatever that seems so simple. It was something called MAP, Macro Assembly Programming. And we were given an assignment. And this assignment was to write a program that would determine if an interstate highway ran east or west, north or south. Now, if you're familiar with that interstate system, you know that uh, east and west, the odds num- odd numbers run north and south, the even numbers run east and west. So we were asked to write a program. And this was before the days of uh, the Macintosh computer, uh, before the days of... Uh, you know, our cell phones that act so much, can do so much more than even the program that I, the computer that I had to do this with, which took up an entire floor of a building. I had to sit down at a computer key punch card and punch cards that there were run into the computer as I gave those cards to the assistant. I was so proud of what I'd done. I made it work, finally. Turned into the assignment, went into the class the next day, and the professor, as he called each of us by name to come up and get our uh, program cards, I began to see that everybody's stack was about that deep. And mine was about that deep. Here's an architect in the midst of all the engineers, right? All the computer uh, techies and the programmers. And as I walked back to my seat, having received my stack of cards, I heard the professor say, some people made this assignment way too difficult. (laughs) The program, as I sat down and hung my head, could have been written with as few as five cards. I think I had as many as 50. I mean, the stack was pretty big. You see, our abiding in Jesus, bearing fruit for the glory of God, doesn't require 12 steps. It doesn't require 613 pharisaical laws. It requires essentially two things. And it's easy to remember. It's words 
and words. It's God's word to us. It is the scriptures written to us. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. How does the vine dresser, how does the father bear, uh, go about pruning the, the branches? He does so by his word. Jesus said to his disciples, you have already been cleaned. You have already been cleansed. That is, you have already been pruned by the word that I have spoken to you. Have you ever seen a pruning knife? It's a vicious looking tool. Looks like something out of a a horror film. But it does the job. In the proper hands, it can be used to bring health. The Father's pruning knife is the Word of God, is His Word to us. And with it, He takes to the branches and He cuts away the dead parts and He shapes the plant by controlling the direction of growth of those parts. He prunes to preserve the the vitality and the life of each of those branches in order to maximize the yield, the fruit. And you know what we do when often we see those pruning shears and that pruning knife come after us. We say, not me, Lord. Don't do that. It's too painful. I don't want to be involved in that. And yet we're told the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. That's what His Word does. It exposes areas of our lives, thoughts and attitudes and behaviors that inhibit our spiritual growth, and He cuts them away, shaping the pattern of our lives and our thinking, our words and our actions by His commandments. Jesus says in verse 10 that if you keep my commandments, you will, I'll add, by God's grace, abide in love, in my love. The Word of God shows us what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God might be equipped, adequately equipped for every good work. It says man there, but it means women too. All of us. Profitable for teaching. Reproof, correction, training in righteousness so that we might be adequately equipped for every good work. It teaches, corrects, it trains, and when we submit ourselves to it and are saturated and soaked with it, we can say we are abiding in Christ. Here is His Word. Remember two words. God's words to us, but our words back to Him. And what form do those words take? Our prayers. Our prayers lifted up to Him twice in this passage. Jesus speaks of prayer. 
John 15, verse 7, he says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, do what? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And then in verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. Honestly, those words are so often taken out of context. Ask, pray, and God will give it to you. And if He doesn't give it to you, there's something wrong with your prayer. There's something wrong with you. You're not living a sanctified life that He might bless you with answers to your prayers. These words are so often misinterpreted. Jesus is not saying God is some sort of cosmic vending machine. That He's some sort of divine bellhop or concierge who is eager to indulge your every wish. He's not saying that. Our prayers, the Westminster Confession Shorter Catechism says, are an offering up of our desires to God, that is true, for things agreeable to His will. In the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies, asking for whatever you wish is conditional. If you are abiding in Me and My words abide in you, He says, ask whatever you wish. The condition is that we abide in Him and we ask according to His will. Essentially what the Holy Spirit is doing as we pray is making our request coincide with what God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son desires for us. Praying in His name is to pray as He has authorized us to pray when we pray for what He wants. We may not immediately get it. And honestly, if we don't get it, we need to stop and think, do I need it? right then. It could be that God is withholding that or that we will never get that. But we are satisfied in our hearts and in our prayers that God is glorified and He's glorified by the fruit that we bear. And how do we bear that fruit? To bring God glory? By abiding in the true vine as the branches. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. Remember where there is no attachment to that stalk, that, that, that vine, and there is no root, there will be no fruit. Is your life bearing fruit? You've heard of a litmus test. Well, let me give you this. It's called... A sponge test. Alright? When you squeeze a sponge that has been sitting in a sink that is drenched with water, what happens? What comes out of that sponge? Whatever is soaked up in that sponge. Now here's what I want you to do, little sponges. I want you to pay attention to the times when you get squeezed this week. 
And there are plenty of opportunities to be squeezed as we live in this pandemic world of COVID-19. Pay attention to the times when you get squeezed. And, And I don't mean by someone that you can get close to who may be giving you a bear hug. Squeezed by the pressures of life, whether you're at home with your family, in a store someplace, in a car sitting behind the steering wheel, or simply by yourself somewhere. I want you to notice the times when things are squeezing in upon you and pressing down on you and pay attention to what comes out. Watch. Listen. What do you say in those moments? Even if You only mumble it to yourself or say it to yourself silently. Notice what's being squeezed out of you. Is it grumbling or gratitude? Does it reveal bitterness or rage or anger or impatience or the sweetness, the spirit? What comes out of you, oh little sponges in me, will be a clue as to whether or not at that moment in time we are abiding in Jesus. There were times over the past few weeks that I was squeezed. And there is one who can attest that in the time of being squeezed, I probably did not... uh, let out of myself anything that was uh, very uh, sweet. (laughs) And I know that's hard to believe. So, what do you do if you discover you're not exactly producing that sweet fruit of the Spirit? You do what I did. You ask for forgiveness. You remain a child of God. You go back to that well of never ceasing grace and remember the root, Jesus Christ. And you begin again to saturate yourself in God's Word and the recollection of that Word that you've hidden in your heart that you might not sin against Him. You keep His commandments and you do this Because this is how you abide and remain in Him. It's not a one-time thing. It's constant and continual over a lifetime. And over time, when something happens that squeezes you, you may be surprised that the first thing out of your mouth is praise and glory to God's infinite grace. That's the fruit that you and I want as we abide in that sacrificial love of Jesus Christ and know that God our Father is glorified by that and that we are bearing fruit and proving to a watching world that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Heavenly Father, as we end this time and this hour, 
as we go into the world where we will be squeezed. We will be pressured and pushed from so many different places, maybe even places that we never thought. Give us, Lord, the ability to show to the world fruit of the Spirit that is sweet, that only comes out of the love that Jesus Christ has for us as we abide in Him and remain in Him. These things, He said, I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.